What's up, everybody? My name is Patrick Jones, and I'm the host of the Patrick Jones Baseball Podcast. Got a fun episode for you today featuring someone who is a, is a good friend of mine north of the border up in Canada, uh, Mitch Davidoff. Mitch is currently the uh, manager for the Victoria Eagles, which is a, a basically a travel baseball organization, but they're up in Victoria, um, British Columbia in Canada. And it's cool to be able to dig in and ask questions to Mitch on on what it's like helping kids um, who are who are playing baseball up in Canada, some of the similarities and differences between there and the United States. Uh, Mitch is a hitting coach too, and he's he's a fantastic hitting coach. Um, he's got a growth mindset, constantly wanting to learn, and and that comes out in this episode. I mean, you're you're gonna be able to to really see just how good of a coach he is, and and kind of how he goes about you know working with his players. Uh, I've seen him throw batting practice before. It's it's incredible. He's got a great arm. And it's impressive to watch. So he's someone who uh, I've always in, I've, I enjoy talking to. And, you know, we we finally were able to meet up in early August when I was out in Seattle watching some players. So uh, I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, it was a fun one. Mitch is a great guy and uh, hope you enjoy it. So, ladies and gentlemen, here is my episode with Mitch Davidoff. All right, everybody. Welcome in again. Uh, we have on the show today, Mitch Davidoff. Mitch, appreciate you coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Pat. So you're you're up in Canada. Uh, you coach baseball. We've been you know talking with each other. We met you know probably like a month and a half ago through a you know mutual friend of ours, Craig Shaw. And um, you know I wanted to have you on the podcast because I think you know. Obviously, A, you do a really good job just from a development standpoint and coaching standpoint. And I think it'd be cool for the the listeners, too, to just kind of get an understanding of, of how things go in Canada for for baseball at the at the amateur level. And I think you do some I think it's it's a little bit similar to how it's done in the States, but it's a little bit different, too, um, based on what you've seen, how travel baseball is yeah. in the States. What's the diff? What's the biggest differences that you see from Canada to the United States? Yeah, so in in BC, we don't have a we don't have high school baseball in the sense that you're playing under your high school banner. Um, we have academies, so um, I've been uh, able to have a director of operations role at the the district high school academy here for um, nine years now. And under that umbrella, like you, it's really an, instead of a PE course, it's baseball. So they actually get credits for taking baseball instead of PE. That's a dream. So, <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, when when I explain it to Americans, it's like, yeah, holy cow! I wish we we had the opportunity to do all that stuff. And our our boys are a little underappreciative for that sort of stuff. They don't they don't understand that, like. They think, you know, oh, yeah, it would be cool to have a high school team down there. But obviously, you know, uh, sorry, up here, but obviously up here, you know, we don't have those sort of populations to, you know, uh, retain, you know, two, three, whatever uh, teams it would take to have even a conference. Right. So um, instead, we have you know the British Columbia Premier Baseball League um, and it each city the main cities in bc have um 
a PBL franchise. And um, in Victoria, we have two. We have the Victoria Mariners and the Victoria Eagles. It's the only city in, in all BC that has, has two franchises. So under each franchise umbrella, you have your premier team, which is your 18U. And then you have your 16U team, which is your junior premier, essentially like JV, just like in the States. And then underneath that is like your your grade eights and your grade nines, your freshmen. So that's your U14, your Bantam premier players. So just to clarify, so where you're at, where you're located, there's only two essentially travel organizations and that's it. Yes. That's crazy to think about because I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio right now. And there's probably like 250. I mean, it's every time you turn around, there's travel organizations popping up. So it's crazy to think to be in a city where there would literally be two choices. I, I like it. I wish it was like that. Yeah, no, I mean, it keeps, uh, you know, we're always fighting for, you know, internal competition here. Cause I mean, I think that breeds the best ball players and yeah, it's, it's great to have options and stuff, but you know, at, at some point it becomes, you know, a little diluted, right? You want that, you want that, uh, you want to breed that competitive uh, ball player, right? With that so, so is it, are, are a lot of kids not able to play baseball at all because there's only two organizations and then like, Hey, if, if they're not good enough to play at either of those, then there's really nothing else for them to, to do. Well, yeah, sorry. I should, I should say that there are a couple grassroots programs that there, there are like options to go and, you know, do a little bit of, of travel stuff, but it's not in the same capacity as it would be with the PBL, you know, franchise, right? We have a team, um, it's a midget AAA team in town as well. So like um, if there's kids that don't make, you know, a pre one of the two premier teams, then they have the option to, you know, trickle to uh, uh, trickle down to the midget AAA program. Um, and, uh, you know, for some, it's like they want to travel, but they may be premier caliber players, but they want to just go play with the Seawolves because, you know, they want to play with their friends and maybe post-secondary isn't like, you know, what they want, want to do. So do you guys travel a decent amount? Oh yeah. So like every weekend is going to be, you know, at least four games. So we're playing, um, probably some weekends were all four games in, in uh, the mainland. So Vancouver, um, at least every weekend, right? It, you know, sometimes we have a four game homestand on the island where we got teams that come over and, and play us for our regular schedule. But I mean, that's very far and in between, right? You know, our midweek games are going to be against the other island teams, the other Victoria team, um, Nanaimo and Parksville. So those are like the more mid island squads. How often do you come to the United States to play? Um, we try to get down there as much as possible. I mean, it's, it's hard when you're trying to build this, uh, a program that's kind of, you know, multifaceted and it's like kind of the one, the one-stop shop. Right. But I mean, you know, with the, the Canadian dollar and everything, um, we, we, we'll get down there probably twice this year. We go to, uh, a GSL, uh, showcase college showcase tournament, um, in Centralia in, uh, July. And uh, both Victoria teams go to that. And uh, that's like a really good eye opener for a lot of kids that are, you know, aiming to go to that post-secondary program. And uh, especially, you know, it, for some of them, it's, you know, the first time playing in front of, you know, 40, 50 schools, scouts, whatever it may be. Yeah. How often do you guys have uh, college coaches come up and see you in Canada? Oh, 
it honestly, it, I mean, especially uh, during COVID, obviously it's like nothing, but even before that very far and in between, like, so yeah, we're lucky if, you know, there's a, there's a school that wants to come up and make the trip, but I feel like, you know, uh, the American programs and stuff take advantage of those kids that are good enough to be south of the border. They're, you know, they're the area code kids or the kids that get picked up for PNWs and other, other showcases around like PBR stuff. Um, those sort of, uh, umbrellas. I gotcha. Yeah. I just, it's, it's just interesting to me just to kind of hear about the, the differences between how you guys do it in Canada versus United States. I think there's a, a, a ton of players in Canada and I think you're starting even players around at least where I am in Ohio are now playing against kids who, who are live in Canada or coming down playing in tournaments and people are starting to, to see how good the talent is up there. I think it's pretty underrated, to be honest. Like, I, I don't think people, I think people overlook it a lot of times, but there's some really good players up there that I think get overlooked just because they're you know, not necessarily in the most convenient location. Oh, I, I 100% agree. There's a lot of untapped talent up here. And, uh, and I, we rarely see a guy sign, you know, as a, as a sophomore, junior, even in, in high school, right? Whereas in the States, it's like, these guys are getting, you're looking at, you know, a sophomore online on whatever, on perfect game and whatever, it's already, he's already committed as a 25 or a, a 26 grad, right? So it's like, holy cow. And then our guys get so overwhelmed, like, well, are we this far behind in the, in the race? And it's just, you know, it comes down to exposure a lot of time. You can, it's, it's great nowadays. Like you can do a lot of stuff like online and um, compress videos and just send them at a click of a finger. But at the end of the day, a lot of these programs want to see these guys face to face, right? You know what? They want to see how, you know, how composed they are, you know, the way they go about their business and stuff like, you know, the swing and, you know, uh, the arm may play, but, you know, at the same time, they, they want to see all those other variables. Yeah, I think the the video and all that stuff, it, it's it's similar to a, a resume, right? You're not going to get a job just solely off your resume, but, you know, it could get you an interview. And so yeah, it's kind of the, the same thing. Um, that's kind of how I, I view that kind of stuff. But I, I was doing some research digging up on on you, and I uh, I wanted to ask you, you played at four different colleges in the United States, correct? Yeah, yeah. So I would love to hear the story behind four different colleges playing college baseball at four different schools okay um I graduated pretty young um in comparison to the other guys that were in my grad year so as a 2020 sorry as a 2020 sorry 2008 grad I was 17 years old at a late September birthday when I first showed up at Tacoma Community College um Got my spot there uh, uh, through Donegal Fergus, who's now at Santa Barbara. And um, I didn't know that. Yeah. 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 So uh, I spent the whole year there, you know, figured it wasn't going to be a, a fit for me. You know, I was struggling at the time hitting and and uh, wasn't going to be an everyday guy. So I ended up uh, redshirting as, you know, uh, through Ferg. Ferg gave me the option, which was he was awesome with all that sort of stuff. And kind of mentoring me through it just as a young guy like going back like now a lot of our guys reclass if they have that that late birthday because 
you know, I showed up as a 17 year old, the next youngest guy was 19. And I'm like, holy cow, like, why am I here? <laughs> right? <laughs> you can compete, but it's like, yeah, I, I feel like some of those programs want to use you and uh, sorry, not use you, but hold, hold on to you for that red shirt year. So then they can, you know, see how you develop and then use their two years afterwards with you, especially like in that JUCO world. So, yeah, I, I mean, that's where, uh, you know, um, I was for 08, 09 year. And then from there, I went on to go play some summer ball with uh, uh, triple play uh, baseball out of Seattle with uh, Rhett Parker, who I, you know, work with uh, closely with, with the PNW stuff. And um, he, he ultimately placed me at Yakima Valley after that year. So I finished my, you know, my JUCO um, AA um, and then moved on from there to a school called Patton University, um, which was an NAIA um, in the Cascade Conference. Uh, so we were, you know, with Lewis and Clark and, and UBC. And after two years there, they ended up shutting down the program and uh, all the athletics at the school. So well, then I was kind of, you know hanging you know like last minute I got nowhere to go and you know I got to find a spot in like a month and a half and and uh, I ended up in uh central uh, uh sorry yeah central Christian uh can uh college of Kansas with uh coach Cunningham who's now at uh he was at uh central Arkansas and now he's at Lyon he's head coach at Lyon so so what, whirlwind. yeah I was gonna say I mean I'm trying to, I'm sitting here trying to just rack up the amount of years you're at your, some of these, some of these schools, um, yeah. five years what, total. What, what was your, I mean, experience, JUCO, NAIA, surprise at the competition level? Like what, what was your experience with, with facing some of those arms and competing at those levels? Um, I feel like it wasn't, I feel like, I mean, obviously I'm going to be biased here, but like, I feel when you walk into the American world as a Canadian, um, you're a little bit of a, a black sheep in a sense where, you know, these schools and um, coaches have been, you know, recruiting the, the local guys for, for years, right? If some of them are watching them as, you know, freshmen or even before that, right? So they kind of, you know, they fall in love with a certain guy that, you know, is down the road and here you are flying in from, from Canada. It's like, okay, yeah, he can play a bit, but, you know, I really have no loyalty or, you know, you know, whatever towards this Canadian guy, even though he's making this full on commitment. Right. So, I mean, I think in terms of, you know, the way the Canadians can, uh, can, uh, play with Americans, like it's, it's neck and neck for sure. Right. Oh, yeah. The top, the top tier guys and, in the in the pbl um but yeah it's i loved it i i had to learn real quick because you know you always hear oh canadians are the nice guys and stuff and i was like i it, like going back to tacoma i was just like okay guy would step in front of me in line to go get extra bp or whatever and i was just like yeah okay go ahead man like and then i learned real quick i was like no this ain't this ain't happening so you you turn it into a little bit more of a bulldog I'd say, um, and, uh, get a little bit more grit underneath your nails too. So. That's interesting, uh, point you brought up there. I'm glad you brought that up about having some, some grit and, and being known as, as the nice guy. And, 
it, it is it is interesting how you caught on to that right away, even as a young kid, really in college, uh, probably by yourself, right? I mean, you're not your family's back in in Canada, and you quickly realized that if, if you weren't going to stand up for yourself, then then nobody else was either. Um, I did, I really didn't know that about that. That was uh, what was known about Canadians is they're just they're known as as the nice guy. Oh, yeah, that's just I mean, that's the stigma stereotype like we hold doors for people and stuff like that. And, you know, it's it's always been it's always been, yeah, the nice guy sort of thing. And then, you know, until I guess we, we take uh, the skates to the ice and then it's a, uh, it's a whole new game. Right. <laughs> Did you play hockey growing up? Just a little bit. I had to make the decision uh, probably around 13 that, you know, baseball was kind of more just, I grew up with uh, um, five other siblings. So, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say my family was, uh, in a bad position because we, we weren't financially for sure, but obviously having, yeah, uh, six uh, kids to look after, you know, everything starts racking up real quick. And baseball was just a, a better sport in my parents' minds. And, you know, I always thought I was going to be a hockey guy, go play for the Colorado Avalanche at the time. And, you know, and uh, obviously, you know, I ended up being a, a summer sport athlete, spring sport athlete, which ended up as you go up the chain, it just becomes a 12 month thing. So. Yeah. What is the timeline like for for players at the high school level in Canada because in the United States I mean there's there's fall ball and there's winter stuff so I mean it, it I mean you can go all year round if you want to a lot of kids do but there's a lot of other kids who, who necessarily they may not I mean what would you say out of the kids who are on those you know two programs both both Victoria teams how many of those kids just do baseball and train year round? Well, I'd say anyone who's on any of the premier teams is training um, at least 10 months of the, of the year doing baseball stuff. I mean, they got their side stuff. Some guys are, you know, elite rugby guys. Some guys are elite hockey guys, right. But they still mix in the baseball stuff as well. And I mean, as a coach, like I'm all for diversification. Like I want our guys playing like a ton of sports right until like you know maybe late junior year depending like you know what kind of player you are right senior year okay let's let's get specialized here in your final year but I think to say yeah no take the skates off or you know um what's another sport uh, a lot of um we got a volleyball guy this year who's you know pretty pretty high up in in BC and stuff like that but he's a he's a junior for us and you know I want him to go as far as he can in, in, in volleyball as well. I just think all that sort of stuff complements and makes a well-rounded athlete. There's, there's sort of certain things in baseball that um, have to be trained, you know, off the field because they're not playing other sports. Like the one-dimensional baseball guys, you know, I feel like they're a little bit more static, right? Whether it's, you know, change of direction or, or whatever, right? Hockey guys got a lot of hip stability, a lot of core strength, right? They, their bats are a lot stronger, um, got good hands. Um, talked about grit, right? So, I've always wondered about uh, what. Well, anytime I always, anytime I talk to anybody from Canada, I, you haven't done this, but you know the two people that that they will always say, like, "You ever heard of Steve Nash?" 
and uh, you ever heard of Joey Votto? And I was like, yep, I've heard of both of those guys before. And yeah. it's funny because you watch Joey Votto run and he runs like he's skating and yeah. hockey. And so I wonder, I always wondered if that was part of the reason he ran that way, just from ice skating as a kid. And this is a, a off the cuff uh, question. <laughs> do, do you find kids who don't know how to run because of playing hockey? There are a few. I mean, it's not a crazy question to ask, but you can totally see like, you know, the, the penguin stance as they're running down the lines like this, where they're like, their hips are kind of stuck in external, you know, positioning where, yeah, they're, they are skating up the lines, right? It's not that sagittal move, right? Where they're pumping up and down and this, and the, they're going side to side, like they're literally trying to speed skate. So, yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of correction. I mean, we, I think we do a good job at, you know, uh, working around it and, uh, you know, uh, we get some speed guys in from time to time that, you know, tighten it up. Is the strength conditioning world pretty big up there in terms of baseball players working out pretty hard all year round? It's huge down here in the United States. Yeah. I mean, it depends on, um, I think it's a case by case, um, management type thing where, um, you guys got to know their own bodies. Obviously there's different phases in the year of, you know, um, in season versus off season and, um, and when, when to build and when to maintain and, and all that stuff. But yeah, like in uh, speaking in general, like everyone's, everyone does a good job at taking care of their body up here because I mean, they know what they got to compete with down South. I mean, obviously you guys hit the weights hard. So we got to hit the weights hard. Football's not crazy big up here, right? You guys, and I know you, that's kind of like engraved in, in, in those, in those guys south of the border. So, I mean, it's just another thing that we got to compete with, right? So find a way anyway. If there were, if you had like a magic wand, like what would be something that you would want to implement for your players from like a development standpoint that you, that you don't have right now? a good question so um honestly like we're we live on an island okay so it's it's small quarters right um it's hard to get land and and all this like this indoor facilities are tight so like um we're lucky if we can get a cage like yours in the background there for like you know nine bodies so it's it's tough that yeah so um i think what was the first indoor facility we got here in victoria and i mean we're the capital of british columbia um we've had like an indoor rec center turf style thing which is kind of like a, a little mini soccer field that um has been used for tons of different sports but it's been packed to the brim like any anywhere from october to um april with with just sports like you can't get in there like there's time slots for you know 10 p.m practices right so until 2020 i want to say yeah 2019 2020 we got another little you know batting cage that had about three tunnels called batter's box out here and then um the um the football club out in victoria here uh, that plays in the canadian football league they uh, opened up an indoor facility as well which is massive it's just like just comes down to 
uh, temperature because it's still, I mean, there's no heat pumps and stuff like that. So it's still cold in there. It's just, you're just staying dry. Right. So I, I mean, to answer your question, it's like, yeah, we're just short on facilities in general. I don't think we're, we're short on, uh, knowledge of the game or, uh, development. We got tons of SNC guys. We've got tons of, uh, physios that, you know, that are back from, you know, playing, um, high level ball that understand the game, the throwing motions that can rehab guys do injury prevention. We got guys up here that understand, you know, the analytics of it all, um, of, you know, swinging and throwing the rap Soto stuff, the blast motion, the track mans and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, I'd say, you know, the indoor space is, is, is tight. And, uh, I mean, we're lucky to get indoor space twice a week. Uh, through through the fall and winter um but yeah and then other than that it's just like you know playing in front of the schools where do you work with a lot of your players at we'll go and we'll go into the the indoor batting cages like i said at batter's box canada so we'll take we'll take groups so we got three tunnels for you know up to nine or ten guys and it, and it works it's tight but it works so, and is that the the team you coach or do you work with players privately too? That would be like a, a private session type thing where there's about, yeah, eight, eight, nine, ten max players, right? Like and, then if, and then you're the only coach there? Uh, there's me and another one. Yeah. So how do you, uh, this is one of the things I wanted to really dig in with you. What, from like a development process, like, do you have a, is there some sort of system that you like taking players through? Like you, they need to check this box in order to get to here or like, what's your framework from a, a hitting standpoint when you're developing players? It just development, not like, like picking them into like who I'm going to work with or. Yeah. Just yeah, just from a straight development point standpoint. Cause I know you, you and the reason why I asked here, because there's working, there, there's different ways to go about it, right? I mean, I have one cage back here. I'll do one-on-one -on -one lessons, and that's different than when I do group group work. And so, you know, if you have eight or nine guys and it's just you and maybe one other coach, how do you go about making sure that you know players know exactly what they need to work on, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so um, I'll just take you through a, a quick, you know, it'll be a two-hour session with, you know, eight or nine guys. So first off, you know, they do a quick little warm-up, and then I take them through some mobility stuff um, just to, you know, activate, you know, core, core uh, do some core stability, uh, you know, do the, you know, your 90-90, your hip mobility, all that sort of stuff, just to open up for the the, the movements to begin with, right? And then uh, from there, um, we I'll just break it down into, you know, six T's and we'll rotate in and out and making sure each guy knows, like, what they're working on that day. Um, and then I'll take, you know, each guy aside and, you know, whether it's working bands with them or PVC drills and and uh, making sure they're going, they're walking away with two or three things that they really got to work into the next phase of the, the session, which is going to be, you know, front toss. And then we got, we'll do a front toss uh, cage. We'll do a, um, a live BP cage where I'll throw and I'll actually give them numbers based on, you know, the analytics of, uh, with the wrap Soto so they can understand like the spins and, you know, the vectors and, you know, how their attack angles affecting the spin on the ball and, you know, what, you know, we're kind of looking from a, a quantitative value 
um, side. And then the other side, I'm just going to challenge them with like high velo, you know, hack attack or whatever machine we got. Right. And maybe mix in some curveball stuff. And then we'll just end with like a, a fun competition, making, making sure that guys have fun and, you know, want to come back. And for everybody who's listening or watching this right now, I've seen video of you throwing BP and you throw not just a really good BP, but you throw hard too. I mean, you got a good arm. I, well, I just try to, I mean, I try to challenge our hitters, right? Like I, I think the 40 mile an hour BP stuff is, you know, is it's good for guys to acquire certain moves, but you know, as soon as, you know, they can repeat it. Right. And, and, and be able to adapt, you know, up and in low and away, you know, and, and, you know, kind of master all four quadrants, right. Then it's, it's time to challenge. And like I, Sammy and Sammy and myself have uh, worked together, you know, long enough now where it's just like, it's go time and I'll, he'll ask for, can you, can you throw any harder? And I'm like, dude, like we're 30 feet and I'm throwing like 65 miles an hour at you right here. Like that, that's all I got. <laughs> But it, it's fun. It, it, it does make it fun. It's cool to see like the buildup of it all and the progression, right? How do you go about helping players deal with uh, building an approach and, and the mental side of the game and kind of that tactical game planning? I know in the reason it's, it's harder, the younger that they are, the older that they get uh, it's, it's easier, but I'm obviously you still need to try to instill that, in them when they are young because it's such a separator for so many hitters but i'm just curious on how you go about trying to do that um well as you know your younger guys like your 13 year olds and stuff like that they're they're super passive right they don't have a lot of um not a lot of confidence at that level they're used to you know the little league games where it's you know walk after walk after, and it's cool to get on base you know for for a lot of them but it's like they go up thinking that they're just going to get a walk right versus being ready to to go right and not just being you know ready to look for that one little pitch but like you know a hittable fastball something like you know in, in the meat of the plate or whether you're a middle in guy or whether you're a middle away guy right just knowing what you're going to hunt first pitch, right. Or whether you're good enough, you know, at that age to hunt that, you know, that, that, uh, hanging breaking ball. Oh, right. So, um, in terms of our, you know, our 18 year old guys, I think, uh, we're getting better at it. Just, you know, understand the zone and, you know, you have the variables of the umpires, right. And in our league, you know, they do the best they can and it's, basically a league that's going to be a ball to a ball and a half on or off the dish. So a lot of guys with great, you know, vision and stuff, they, they can struggle because they're like, that's not a strike, but I'm like, Hey man, like you put yourself in that position deep in account when you, you could have went, you know, and, and, and uh, hacked at that, you know, one Oh fastball that was like, you know, media way, maybe not perfect for you, but like you, you know, you, that might've been the best pitch you get all at bat. Right. So then, you know, they're fighting for their life, you know, with two strikes and, and then they leave it in the ump's hands. And, you know, I just want to make sure that these guys are controlling their own at bats. I think that's great advice right there of, of a lot of times when guys get to two strikes or maybe they strike out looking on a, on a pitch, that's maybe a ball or two off most of the time that they, they really 
struck out earlier in that at bat by letting, as you said, that one Oh fastball go by or two Oh fastball two one, whatever it is. And that put them in that position where, you know, like you said, they leave it up to the umpire or, you know, the umpire gives them a ball off and, you know, and they could have avoided that if they were just ready to roll from the get-go in that at bat. So I think that's hundred percent true. And it's something that I see down here a lot. And I, I liked what you said earlier about uh, even the younger kids at 13 years old, 14 years old, how they're a little bit more passive. I noticed the exact same thing here and, and getting them to be aggressive and kind of have developed that, that killer instinct a little bit more. Uh, I think that's why so many players at times are, are, you know, get jammed down here is, you know, when you have that passive mindset, uh, you know, the, the pitch to the pitcher, the ball coming in doesn't have feelings. So if you're not ready to hit, like it's still coming in at the same speed. So I, I liked how you, uh, how you worded that. Yeah. Just to add, like, and to add on to that, like just getting my guys in, in the mental state to understand like where their body works best, like effort wise. Like I got some guys that, yeah, are, they're, they're the max stairs, like hundred percent max effort, but I got other guys that are dismantled if they're swinging that hard, right? They're total breakdown, like using their big muscles, right? And it's just like, you know, an oar through water, right? Super slow, no levers, no fast switch, right? So it's like, you know, okay, get in there like 70% effort level. And I, I mean, that starts with, you know, our approaches in, in, in batting practice. I love the, the, the Matt Stairs reference there. I assume, is he, a, is he from Canada? Yeah. Yeah. Is he right, near East, East, East coast, East coast. Yeah. That's awesome. What a legend. I think he, I think he's known as one of the best pinch hitters of all time. Is he not? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's I awesome. remember, I can't remember who he was with at the time, but I mean, there's that one playoff bomb that he hit. It must've been like the NLCS or something like that. I think Phillies, was it Phillies? Yeah. Something like that, but it had Dodger stadium. Yeah, and that's I remember that as a kid for sure. Who was your team growing up? Was it the Mariners? Uh, yeah, it was in high school Mariners and stuff like that. And then you know, kind of went to the wayside when you know after the oh one oh two seasons, and then there was like you know the breakdown of the team. You know, Edgar was on his way out, and um, you know, A Rod was had left the Arlington, and so um. It's funny that you say that. I didn't really have a team for a while, and then I went to when I went to uh, Tacoma and Yakima. I had roommates that were from Texas, and I just became a Rangers guy. And then they they kind of took off. Like I I fell in love with Josh Hamilton just reading his book, and mm. and like his story was like super cool to me. Um, so yeah, I mean, I got I got some of his memorabilia at home with his signed jersey and the signed batting helmet and stuff and just to think like wow yeah like the just watching him in the the home run derby it's just kind of a, a swing you can't emulate you know what a what a I mean literally a freak of nature I mean he was incredible to watch and crazy story uh it's just like yeah it was tough that's tough life he's he's unfortunately had what are there are there any hitters that you you really like watching today who are still playing yeah, I like uh, I like watching Arenado, uh, Goldschmidt. Um, you know, uh, obviously Trout. New the newer guys like you know J Rod and um, uh, who else? Vladdy G. 
you know, and just taking bits and pieces and, you know, looking, okay, well, what are the absolutes here? Like, what do all these guys do the same, you know, partially, you know, and like, how do, how do they, you know, work to different pitches and, and, you know, why, you know, what are the constraints in their bodies? And I try to figure out, you know, obviously everyone's going to watch, you know, they're at bats and be like, well, you know, I, I wonder if I could fix a swing doing this and that, right? You always play those. I'm sure you do the same. Oh, yeah. 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 What are some of the things that you, you see from those guys that you take to your hitters and say, like, hey, like, how you get to these positions may be a little bit different, but these are the absolute positions that we have to get to. To me, it's like, yeah, so everyone's going to have their own stance. You got to be comfortable from the get-go, okay? Whether you're, you know, a tall guy, low guy, you know, open stance guy, whatever. Um, for me, the, the next absolute is, you know, the separation piece into that heel connection in the ground. Like, I'm, I'm a firm believer of both heels at some point need to be connected in the ground because ultimately you're trying to take that ground force up through your kinematic chain, right? So if you get a guy that's, you know, stepping down with their front foot and that left, that, sorry, that back heel has already popped up, well, they haven't both been on the ground at, at some point together, right? So it's going to be hard for you to use that, you know, that force up through your legs into your torso and then, you know, into your shoulders and hands and barrel. Right. So um, I'm, I'm firm on the heel connection spot, which I call, you know, the hitting position after you're, you know, after you've gone from your stance into separation, it's your hitting position. And to me, that's just going to look like your lower legs are like when I explain it to my younger guys, if I'm working with a 13, 14 year old, it's like, okay, your lower half needs to be a triangle your upper half, like your torso is a square and then your head is a circle. Like if those shapes don't balance on the tip of that triangle, you're not in a, a solid position or you don't have a solid foundation to be repeatable time after time. That's good stuff, man. I love the, the, the triangle square circle. I think that's. Yeah. Awesome. You just, I think nowadays, like the visuals, it, oh. kids are on their iPads, you know, phones, TVs, video games, whatever. Every, every kid nowadays is hands-on visual learners like you can't be auditory i mean you still you still teach that way too but at the same time there's going to be like i feel like five percent of your your students are going to be auditory guys or girls yeah yeah totally no that's that's yeah I, I really like that i really like that a lot do you ever have them you, you mentioned about both heels on the ground at some point do you have them feel that feel those positions out during practice right where and you'll i've seen that i sometimes do that with guys where just they both heels have to stay on the ground the entire time when they're swinging to feel that connection do you do that too yeah if, if i see it and it's becoming an issue i don't really revisit it unless i need to so i use like a an act um kind of program here where my first level is you know your acquisition stage and then the challenge stage and then your testing stage so if i got a guy who like i explained before like his back heels popping when that front foot comes down you know he's probably going to have a little bit more weight on that front leg right which ultimately is probably going to lead to a steeper bat angle down at the ball right so you're not going to get good spin on the baseball and you're not going to get you know good flight and even if he does get good flight it's just going to die because of the high spin rate so dial it back a little bit. Okay, let's go back in the cage. Let's go acquire where you actually need to be. And like you said, 
go from your stance and like literally go from the whole sequence, right? Don't just stay in there, but stance to hitting position. Now feel what it feels like to be connected and just go forward at like a 50% effort level right off of, off a of tee, right? And it might be, you know, the, the kid may um, be able to do it on a middle, middle pitch, but not on a low and away pitch, right? So then you're moving the tee back. I'm a firm believer on, on those four quadrants, like especially when you're doing tee work. If you can own all four of those quadrants, I mean, you can own anything in between. So ACT, you said A is acquisition. What's the C? Challenge. So if we acquire um, that move by just doing the T work, okay, now we're going to, because obviously the ball is not moving. Now we're going to challenge it with a moving ball. So just, you know, light front toss, whatever, if you want to just flip, flip to them um, and see if that, that, uh, that move that was acquired is being challenged and it's still transitioning. Okay, now if they're if they're good through their challenge stage, okay, well let's test it. Let's you know whether it's game mode or ramping up a, a, a hack attack or whatever machine. Let's see how you go at full speed, right? And then if it's like okay, you got through your challenge your challenge stage, and then we take you to test mode, and you you know it's not there hundred percent, then we got to go back and and dial back to the challenge mode, right? And then furthermore, obviously if if it's not you know, transitioning into the challenge mode, well, you're back to acquisition mode. And it's like, whether it's, you know, figuring out if it's a, a physical limitation or, you know, if it's like a motor pattern that you just got to retrain, it's just going and just kind of hammering at, at that player in different, you know, with different channels. Maybe it's different verbiage that you got to use, right? Maybe it's a different band drill, PVC, right? Man, that's so good. I, I, I'm going to steal that. I'm going to steal the ACT from you. That, that's so yeah. good. That's so good. I love that. I, uh, that's great. Did you come up with that? No, I learned it from, um, uh, I'm lucky because uh, one of my buddies through school or sorry, high school and stuff, he's actually with the Seattle Mariners uh, and he, uh, he's helped me out a lot with just learning, you know, the ins and outs of what they're doing at the big league level. Um, so he's the field coordinator for the Seattle Mariners. And um, we're lucky to have him come back and talk to our Academy guys uh, once a year. And, you know, he puts a presentation together. So there's always things I'm picking up from him. Carson? Uh, my, yeah. Carson Vitale. Yeah. 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 I think he played at Creighton. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's good stuff. They do uh Mariners. They do a really good job from what I've heard from a development player development standpoint at the, big league and, and minor league level um but man that's really good i'll tell you what man i'm impressed by you i think you you're doing a, a really good job at i think just pe by people listening to you on this podcast obviously you know about you know the mechanics can break down skill acquisition all that stuff understand the mental game and um what what are what are your uh what are your like what's your dream Oof. To be affiliated in, in pro ball, like Is I want to be, yeah, I want to help out, you know, a big league club and whatever capacity it is, you know, whether it's, you know, starting out, you know, being just eyes here in British Columbia in the scouting world or, um, you know, hopefully getting into player development. But, you know, I, I know it's, a, you know, it's a hard road to the top. Like it's, it's hard to make it as a player. But like, you know, you know, there's 25 guys per roster, but there ain't 25 coaches per roster, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a, it's harder to make it as a coach than a player. 
Yeah, that's a great point. I think uh, now that you you mentioned that, it's hard too because how do you quantify a coach? Yeah, I just I mean it's got to be a fit for you know the program. Yeah, right? no, like, I, I'm, I'm not saying like I'm not. I guess that's more like a rhetorical question, just because I don't know if there's really an answer for that. I think yeah. that's what makes it hard. I think that's why it it kind there's of there's so many to, variables right like yeah, just, yeah. So, like i've had guys like i got buddies that you know are in the strength world uh snc world in pro ball and they're like they're not big like you know nerdy guys with like oh their their terms of you know what they're talking about you know the body parts and, and everything like that um but they're there because you know the players can relate to them you know it's not like oh yeah this uh I, I don't even want to, this anterior pelvic tilt or whatever is, you know, affecting this and blah, blah, blah. And like in your squat and, you know, a guy's going like, okay, what does that even mean? Right. Right. Yeah. But yeah. I think just, yeah. Being a baseball guy, you know, playing the game yourself and, you know, rubbing shoulders with like the right people to, you know, to understand, you know, you know, and how to act as a professional, it's like I said, tons of variables all into the equation, right? Well, I'll tell you what, man, you you've got the skill set to be to be doing that. And I I know that because I've I've done it firsthand in terms of uh, being in an organization and, and seeing what other coaches do. And you would fit at the top of the list. I mean, 100 uh, percent. I, so I think the first things first, we got to get you on Twitter and we got to get you on social media so people find out about you. Yeah, we'll get that started up. You'll help me with that, right? Oh, dude, I, I'll, I'll throw followers your way. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. So, wait, well, hey, Mitch, this has been a ton of fun, dude. Um, ton of fun. You know, I just was out in Seattle a month or so ago at the Pacific Northwest Games, which was cool. It was cool to meet you out there. And, um, you know, you were, you're doing a really great job. So, anything else we can do to, to help you, we'd be more than happy to. And, uh, appreciate you coming on the show it's been a ton of fun and um man look forward to, to watching some of the cool stuff you do and w look forward to watching you in the big league someday don't forget about me when you're in the big leagues oh yeah okay likewise okay <laughs> well, i appreciate you having me on the show man i'd love to do it again uh, a lot of fun and uh we'll be in touch lots so i look forward to building upon this relationship for sure